When China's President Xi Jinping last year made a pledge to reach net zero by 2060, the country's ministries and locales were all mobilised to devise decarbonisation plans for their jurisdictions. And in China, of course, not reaching certain performance targets does often have serious consequences. So how much pragmatic process across power, transport and industrial sectors has been made? And what are the ripple effects for Australia, given our existing relationships? Well, a senior business and government delegation leaves for China this weekend, the first to visit the country in three years, and a major focus will be on green energy collaborations. Anthony Cole is a member of the delegation. He's the chair of the Net Zero Working Group for the Australia-China Business Council, the ACBC, and about to get on a plane. Hi there, Anthony. Hi, Geraldine. Thanks. Now, you've been a regular visitor to China over the years, I know, and I understand you went back there ahead of this trip. Did you see any changes relating to this net zero push that weren't apparent when you were there last, just before the pandemic? Definitely, yeah. It was the first trip for me for three years. I think December, I think 21, I came back um, 2019. And obviously, a lot has happened since then. Um, I've actually been working in the, I guess, clean tech sector, you'd call it. I worked in the renewable energy sector uh, since 2008. So I spent a bit of time in Korea and Japan and China seeing the evolution. But this trip was different, I guess, both because it was at the end of the party congress that had happened in March. So their system was a bunch of decisions were announced, as you mentioned earlier, um, late last year. And then it flows through the administration and then all the the departments are restructured and the roles and I think they call them opinions are um, tabled and then the the provinces and the city governments have to own those. So the big thing I saw was a, an absolute appetite for action and uh, certainly being up there was eye-opening uh, with the number of other international communities that were Competing. Yeah, I'm yes, going to come yeah, to that in a moment. Look, yeah. really what struck us was your description of the electric car brands, dozens of them on the road, yeah. unrecognisable to foreigners. 90% of the taxis in China are now electric. Can, can you just talk about that, particularly your arrival, the lovely way you wrote about your arrival in Shenzhen after a midnight flight from Jinan? Yeah, uh, that was it was the most striking um moment and Shenzhen Airport's incredible in, in itself with its design um, but then uh, everyone's booking obviously through their phones everything there's hardly any cash and the taxi stand is there but the taxis are all electric but all of the um, what we call Uber the Didi's over there all very um, all electric basically and so you're standing there and there's this um, eerie silence with all of this traffic going on um, People are consumed on their phone. They're they're looking for the registration number of the car and without a word being spoken, as you yeah, said, no yeah. chaos, and, no noise, no smell. No, <laughs> but and, you, you did and, say, mind you, there yeah. was the mass of heavy di- diesel vehicles lumbering yeah. down the expressway. So I mean, we've got that problem too, haven't we? That that they that's the next. Uh, that is a real sort of um, next yeah. level. And and it's back to your opening comment. It's certainly one of the areas of opportunity for us. And and I'm one of those weird guys that you know looks at power cables and uh, and in, and energy infrastructure when I'm going on a trip. But the buses are predominantly electric. Um, but the heavy vehicles in industrial you know 
transport for all the construction are still the old clunkers um, rolling down the road. And so, you've still got all the high voltage yeah. AC um, electricity distribution. That's right. Yeah, they're still there, yeah. very much so. Yeah, and very different in different regions. So I, I deliberately took the, um, the high-speed train from when I first arrived. I went from Shenzhen to Beijing on the train, and it, and it, you know that was two thousand two hundred kilometres in eight hours, basically. Mm-hmm. But you get to see um, what most people, particularly a lot of Australian government and business, we get caught in the the tier one cities. Um, but you get to see the rural challenge that China has as far as, you know, there's it's quite a two-speed um, economy. So there's absolutely dynamic and massive urban economy. And a city like Shenzhen is a pilot for future cities of the world. Um, however, a couple of hours north, um, out once you get outside of Guangdong province, it's rural farmland and and quite challenging communities, really, Mm. as far as livelihoods. Which is what is interesting about who's going with you. Um, Mm. So your delegation includes Fortescue, Rio Tinto and Telstra, for instance. Now, I wonder, a lot of these companies have existing relationships with China. I don't know whether they've, you know, been a little bit dormant of late, but are we there to re-engage or newly engage, would you say? Well, we're really fortunate with the support we've had for this group because it's not a traditional, like a lot of the delegations that go in are either government-led, let's promote a particular state and city relationship. However, we're going up to particularly open people's eyes to these new policy directions and the new opportunities they provide. So these are these are solid long-term corporate partners of ACBC. As a, we're a member-based organisation, so we work for our members, and they all have, as you mentioned, pretty strong established commercial relationships already. So Fortescue, Cochlear, Telstra, um, Rio. So they're not coming up necessarily to build new business card um, decks, but they're, they're coming up to go to some presenters who are going to share where China is heading with this, what they call high quality growth agenda. So it's, yes, they're going to keep growing their economy, but uh, they need to improve their efficiencies and they need to transform to become a green economy. And so we feel uh, that all of those companies and also other businesses in different industries that may not have considered there are opportunities in China, we are trying to capture those aha moments on this delegation and bring them back in some um, reports for um, briefings when we get back. Dare I ask, are we too late? I mean, is everybody else there first? Um, and like, I'm looking, for instance, at some of the um, graphs you've supplied us with, like Viet- <laughs> Vietnam is just this yeah. phenomenal complexity yeah. of growth and I'm presuming they're engaged. So I, I just wonder about our timing. Well, I guess my perspective's a, a bit different. We're working very closely with Austrade and DFAT on this. We're not trying to get too far ahead of our skis, but I, I've been doing a, quite a bit of work in Southeast Asia as well. And uh, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, everybody is already not just at the table. They have maintained their relationships and they're really moving forward to learn from how China has achieved what it has in such a short amount of time. And interestingly, from a, we, a lot of people consider China an IP technology sort of threat. Well, all of these other countries are actually 
the technology transfer is coming back the other way now. So um, how do they bring that knowledge into their economy? Build So Thailand, for example, are building a electric vehicle manufacturing plant with BYD. And so that's been done with a lot of covenants around the local capacity building, local uh, university uh, R&D development, but obviously participating in supply chain that is required because of the scale of the transformation ahead of us. The point that we're trying to make on this delegation is all of the change that's happened in the last 10 years since China sort of cracked open the solar PV market is we've got 10 times that to come to achieve our net zero objectives. Yeah. So are you saying that we have a role to play in the global supply, particularly to something like China, of green steel and solar and EVs and batteries and hydrogen, um, as well as services? Yeah, very much so. And it's a, well, it's what other countries are doing. So uh, Brazil is building a battery factory. Well, America is building battery factories. There's a, the largest battery manufacturer out of China is just done a joint venture with Ford in Michigan. So they might be wanting to buy our lithium, but um, we should be considering. Gee, that's not our the role. sort of not the sort of talk you hear out of the US at the moment, isn't that interesting to hear that? Well, there's, that's one of four I can you know name. That's that's our concern is that our role is to work with the business community and and identify economic opportunities for Australian business to flourish. And our ambition is to say, well, the climate change is an existential threat for humanity. However, from an economic point of view, you've got the mining sector, you've got the energy sector, you've got the transport sector, finance, agriculture, built environment. All of these core pillars of Australia's economy are all areas where we have got some great strengths in that China needs help in. But, but Anthony, well as, we haven't even yeah. got that right here yet, have we? Like No, no we're, we're um, pitching ourselves as a green energy superpower, and this is part of Australia's challenge. We're 1% of uh, CO2 emissions, and China's very easily over 20%. Um, but China itself is driving 30% of global GDP. And they're still buying, you know, coal and oil and gas to do that. So Right. Um, I, sp- I suppose the, the question is, from what you're saying, that maybe collaboration with China might be politically, some of these projects might be politically less sensitive than straight, like, say, the telecommunications areas. And mm. are you suggesting that actually it could be, it could be a two-way street, that it could both boost development at home here in Australia, as well as in China, that you think that this could be a symbiotic relationship? Yeah, because they're working on this value-added elements of their economy that are not just reliant on uh, commodity goods like iron ore and coal and and gas. So so Australia's challenge in our our region, which is our economic opportunity, um, is to participate in that. And so... Where we're, what we're trying to do is highlight that there are others about to eat our lunch if we don't change our approach to the opportunity with China. We're just doing what we can to change the narrative from a bit of um, defence security overwhelm to um, to let's address this net zero challenge and we could feel we can do it faster together. 
Okay, and look, just very briefly, China's emissions from coal, I notice, are forecast to peak at 2030. That's still Mm. seven years away. Not great news for the planet. Um, No. Do you honestly see this pace of change that you've described earlier? Could it bring their goals at a faster rate or not? Well, they're already committed to that. So this is the two this is the two levels of the China commitments that we're not seeing or reading about, which is part of what we're trying to highlight. They are very clear with their 2030 peak carbon goals. And unfortunately, as you said, they are still going to be absolutely um, balancing those other fossil fuel inputs to drive their their economy. However, at the same time behind that, I can't begin to uh, explain to you the the scale and the pace of the um, renewable energy infrastructure. Like they, they've installed as much offshore wind last year than the whole world had in a cumulative capacity in the last 10. Their commitment for meeting what is their 2060 net zero target, the amount of industrial transformation, the amount of energy mix change that they have to go through is so massive that they know that they need to build more PV factories and battery factories and EV factories, but the world needs to as well. And that's what we're saying is we could be putting some of those here instead of watching Indonesia do it next door. Good luck, Anthony. <laughs> Thank you, Geraldine. I really appreciate you uh, t- paying some attention to the trip and um, we'll be good to have a chat when we're on the other side of it. Indeed. Okay. Bye-bye for now. Thank you. Anthony Coles is a member of the delegation heading off this morning. Uh, to China. He's the chair of the Net Zero Working Group for the Australia-China Business Council. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.